Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Redemption Church. My name is Jeff Dillon, and I'm a pastor here at Redemption. And uh, happy Mother's Day. Can we give a hand to all the moms here this morning? We're so grateful to have all of you moms, grandmas, aunts, sisters, all of you ladies here with us today. God has blessed uh, Redemption Church with so many um, great women who have, have blessed our family in so many ways, and so we're grateful uh, for all of you here today. Um, over the past couple of weeks, we've been studying through the book of Acts, and it's been an awesome study to see the birth of the early church, how God uh, sends his spirit to indwell in his disciples to start this incredible movement of the church. And it's been, it's been really encouraging for us to see that. Uh, and today, we're going to kind of hit the pause button on Acts and instead look at, at sort of some tangible teaching for us as a church. Uh, after the book of Acts, most of the rest of the New Testament is instruction for the church. It's sort of like, okay, now how do we live? I loved the title of, of Nate's message last week, so now what, right? That's kind of what, what the bulk of the rest of the New Testament is about. We're going to see that today in the book of Romans. And what I want to focus on this morning is uh, this idea of empathy, rejoicing and weeping. And that might be sort of strange for you coming in on Mother's Day to see the, the first word on your, your note sheet is weep. <laughs> a little bit strange for Mother's Day. Uh, however, I think it's a perfect day to talk about this. As Nate mentioned, uh, Mother's Day is a day of celebration. It's a day to be joyful, but it's also a hard day for many of us. It's a day that brings up sorrows in our life, hurts, pain, losses. And so... I just want to dive into it today and dive into that tension of rejoicing and weeping this morning. I don't know if, if you feel like you are somebody that struggles with empathy, but I feel like I am sometimes. This idea of entering into emotions with other people. Um, if sympathy is to feel for someone, then empathy is to feel with them, to actually enter into their pain or to their joy. And that's hard to do. I'm so grateful for my wife, Becca, and for the mom that she is to our three little girls. And she does a great job of this, of showing empathy, of entering in with our kids and with our family. And one of my favorite stories comes from about a year and a half ago. And uh, we were traveling with a ministry that we've worked with called His Little Feet Children's Choir. They're going to be here for a concert on Father's Day, by the way. Check the back of your note sheet. Shameless plug. Um, and, and we were in California, and we had to take the team from Orange County to Fresno. And if you've ever done this drive before, you know it's, it's kind of a challenging drive. You actually have to go through downtown Los Angeles, through the heart of, of some of the worst traffic in the country, and then over what's known as the Grapevine, which is like this mountain range. Um, let's be honest, in California, it's more like oversized hills, right? But... But they call it mountains there, and it, and it is pretty up and down. It's a long, stressful drive. And, and to make matters worse, I'm driving about a 35-passenger bus full of kids and staff, and it's got an 18-foot trailer on the back. Like, I can barely drive my Honda Accord, you know, without running into stuff. So this is stressful. It was a long, exhausting drive, and finally we made it to Fresno. We got set up at, at the church where we were performing the next day. We got our kids and our staff into their host homes for the night. 
And finally, my wife and I, and at the time, our two little girls, Abby, our oldest, was about two and a half, and, um, and then Aiden, our youngest, was about six months. And so we got into a rental car. We drove across town probably 25 or 30 minutes to a hotel where we're staying. We're finally about to get the girls down for bed. We get them in their pajamas. We're, we're exhausted. It's finally time to go to bed. And we realize a major problem. Abby Bear is missing. If you follow my wife's Instagram, you probably know about Abby Bear. This is our oldest daughter's favorite teddy bear. She's had it with her every night since birth. This is a major disaster. And it's about 10 o'clock at night. So Abby is on the verge of a meltdown. Our six-month-old is on the verge of a meltdown. I'm on the verge of a complete meltdown. And I'm realizing I'm going to have to drive across town 30 minutes to go get Abby Bear at the church where we left her earlier that day. And just then, my wife sits down next to Abby. And she, she enters into the situation with her. She says, Abby, I'm so sorry that we don't have Abby Bear. That's so sad. I'm sorry we left her at the church. But then she gets, she gets all excited, and she grabs this backpack that we had, and she reaches into it. And she says, look, Abby, look what we have. Look what's inside this backpack, and, and look what you can have to cuddle with tonight. And so she reaches in. And she pulls out of the backpack one of these. If you can't see this in the back, it's like a little animal finger puppet. Okay? Like a squirrel could cuddle with this at night, right? But not a toddler. And we had like three or four of these in the backpack. I don't know why we had these in the backpack, but we did. And, and, and Becca got so excited about it that it totally worked. It totally worked. Abby was so excited to cuddle with her little squirrel toy that she totally forgot about not having Abby Bear, and we all went to sleep. That's the power of a mom. I'm sure you guys have, have stories like that as well. And I think our moms and, and women in general are often gifted in this area of empathy, of rejoicing and weeping. But here's the thing, guys, we're, we're not off the hook on this either. This is something that all of us are called to as a church. And we're going to see that this morning in Romans chapter 12. So if you have your Bibles, open to Romans chapter 12. We're going to kind of use Romans 12 as our, our launching pad, and then we'll, we'll go elsewhere this morning. Uh, but we're going to start in Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 15. If you don't have your Bibles this morning, we'll have the scripture up here on the screens. All right, Romans 12, 9 through 15, it says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Will you pray with me this morning? Father, thank you for this day and this time to come before you, to hear from your word. God, I pray that you would help us to be attuned to your Holy Spirit this morning, that we would hear whatever you have for each one of us, that we would be challenged, that we would be changed, that we would be encouraged. 
And God, that we'd be reminded of your great love for us and then motivated to share that love with one another. We love you, Jesus, and pray this in your name. Amen. All right, so the first thing we see in this passage right off the bat are these four words. Let love, no, five words. No, four words. Okay, my math is bad. I was a journalism major. Let love be genuine. Okay, in other versions, earlier versions, it says, let love be without hypocrisy. Without hypocrisy. So what Paul is saying here is, practice what you preach in your love. The truth is, is for us to show empathy to one another, it's going to have to start with genuine love. It's pretty hard to enter into someone's emotions if you're not really loving them genuinely. And so we have to ask the question, what is genuine love? Well, genuine love is is best shown to us by God's perfect love for us, displayed through his son Jesus and his death on the cross. Ephesians 5, 1 through 2 says this, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. It says be imitators of God. Just as God has loved you, now go and do likewise. Love each other in the same way. And by the way, Paul reminds us here at the end of of those verses that, that the love that Christ has shown for us is sacrificial. He's given himself up as an offering, as a sacrifice on our behalf. John Piper once said that we can know the depth of someone's love by what it costs them. The depth of someone's love by what it costs them. Genuine love is costly. It is sacrificial. I think the moms in this room probably get that, right? Genuine love is costly. It's costly in, in, the, in the most basic sense of, of money, right? Any parents in the room, have you bought diapers recently, right? Or, or signed your kids up for summer activities or, or, or sent your kids off to college or paid for weddings? I have three little girls. I, we should take an offering after church today to help me pay for these weddings. You can pray for me now. Just kidding, but seriously, don't know how we're going to do that. But much deeper than that, love for our kids, our families, our spouses is costly on a spiritual level, on an emotional level, on a physical level, especially when it seems like that love isn't making a difference or it's being rejected. Moms, dads, parents, I'm sure you can, you can understand that feeling, spouses, But here's the good news for us, as as we've seen here, Paul is saying that that genuine love is the love of Christ. And so when you love sacrificially, when there is a cost to your love, when you are persecuted or rejected for your love, man, you're being like Christ. You're loving with the love of Christ. That's an encouragement for us this morning. Paul gives us here in in Romans 12 a few tangible examples of what genuine love is. He says we should show brotherly affection to one another. We should outdo one another in showing honor. Today, Mother's Day is a day to, to, to show honor to our moms. But Paul is saying, hey, in the church, we should show honor to one another on an ongoing basis. 
to be something, something we do, something we outdo each other in, honoring each other. When's the last time you woke up and said, man, how can I show honor to my brother or sister today or to my spouse or to my child? We are to honor each other. It also says that we should practice hospitality. We should, we should share with one another. We've seen that in the book of Acts. The reality is these things all take time and intentionality, and there is a cost to them. But that's genuine love. And that's the starting point for empathy, for us to truly care for one another. All right, the second thing that I want to look at here in Romans 12 is verse 12 which says, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. And so I want to focus right now, especially on on that patience and tribulation and being constant in prayer. Uh, You know, one of the things that Jesus repeats to his disciples so often throughout the gospel accounts is your lives are going to be hard. Have you noticed that? Like he he says that a lot. You're going to face persecution, right? You're going to face attack. And this is one of the biggest things that I think rejects uh, the idea of, of a health and wealth gospel, right? That if you hear people saying, hey, if you follow Jesus, your life's going to be awesome. Everything's going to be great. You're going to have your best life now. Not sure what that was. Explosion. Right? That's, that doesn't make sense. It doesn't line up with Scripture. In fact, Jesus taught the complete opposite. In John 16, 33, he says... In this life, you will have many troubles, many troubles. But then he says what? Take heart, because I've overcome the world. And that's good news for us this morning. The other good piece of good news is that God desires to use our suffering. When we persevere through hard times, God draws us closer to him. He shows us his love for us through those hard times. And, and here's how this relates to empathy. I think God also wants to do something through us, through our times of trials, and, and teach us something, give us something that we can then use for one another. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4, gives a great explanation of this. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. What a beautiful picture of the church that is. God comforts us in our times of trial, and it's like we have this reserve tank of that comfort that now we are empowered to share with each other. That's amazing. We have experienced that so many times here at Redemption Church. Uh, just this last week, we took our little three-month-old, Isley, uh, down to Children's Hospital. I shared a, a few weeks back that she's, she has some um, abnormalities with her spine, and we're not exactly sure what, what's going on. We had to go down for a test, basically have to go to talk to a surgeon on Thursday to find out more and what, what might be needed. And this has been a scary and hard time for us as a family, not knowing what's ahead, not knowing what's going on. But it's been amazing. We have felt so much love and encouragement and prayer from all of you. But specifically, there's some families in this church who have walked similar roads before. And it breaks my heart that they've had to walk those roads. You would never wish that on anyone. 
but God is using them to love and serve our family in amazing ways. Just this week, Stephanie Petersburg met with my wife. I'm going to tear up <laughs> talking about it. They've been to Children's Hospital way too many times with, the, with their son. They've been through some hard, hard things. And, and Stephanie was meeting with my wife, and she said, I just feel like I need to give you this verse today. God has put this on my heart, and it was Romans 12, 12, the verse we just read. She had no idea that I was going to be speaking from that text today. How amazing is that? That's God working through his church, right? Through one another. And so many other people like that have reached out to us and supported us and prayed for us and encouraged us. I think that's one of the ways that God redeems our suffering, uses our suffering for his plan and his purpose. The other thing that we see here in, in, in verse 12 is this idea of being constant in prayer. I think prayer is so important um, when it comes to, to empathy and truly loving each other. I don't know if you guys have noticed, but when I'm, when I'm really focused in prayer and, and intentionally praying and connected with the Lord, I always have people that come to my heart and my mind to pray for. Like I'm never, I'm never on my knees like, man, I can't think of anybody to pray for. I'm just going to pray for myself for a half an hour, right? Like God always impresses on us other people to pray for. Sometimes it's like out of the blue, like, whoa, I haven't even thought about that person. The Holy Spirit prompts us and leads us in how to pray. And I think that's so important for us. If, if we want to be empathetic people, if we want to be genuinely loving people, we need to be prayerful people. And we need to ask God for his help in loving and caring for those around us. All right, that brings us to verse 15. I want to focus on verse 15 from Romans 12, which I think is the perfect definition of, of what empathy is. And it simply says this, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And let's start with this idea of, of weeping with those who weep. And, and I'll be honest, this is something that, that I struggle with and I think, I think a lot of us struggle with. I think it's human nature to, to not want to enter into sorrow. We don't like hard and sad things. That's, I think that's normal and, and how, how we're made. But I also think we can struggle with this sometimes in the church because as Christians, we do have eternal hope. We do have the answers for life's biggest questions and for the suffering of this world. And we're going to talk about that in a second. But yet, Paul still calls us here to weep with those who weep. I think sometimes we want to just skip ahead to the good stuff, right? Skip to the answer. I know I'm guilty of doing that with my wife always, right? I just want to fix it. Like, let me fix the problem. She's like, no, just, just be sad with me. Be here with me. We're called to do that by Scripture. It's no surprise that the most perfect example of this comes from Jesus himself. One of my favorite stories in all of the Bible is the story of Lazarus in John 11. You guys probably know the story. Lazarus is a, is a good friend of Jesus. He's the brother of Mary and Martha, who, who Jesus spent a lot of time with. And he becomes very ill while Jesus is, is traveling with his disciples, and Jesus gets word of Lazarus' illness. And by the time he gets back to Bethany, Lazarus has died. He's passed away. And in John 11, starting in verse 33, I think this is on your, your note sheet. It says this, 
when Jesus saw Mary weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. This is amazing, guys. Because I want you to think about it for a second. Jesus is the all-powerful, all-knowing Son of God. He is God in human form. And he knows exactly what he's going to do. In fact, he's already told his disciples and Mary and Martha earlier in John 11 what he's going to do. He's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He knows he can. He knows he will. And so you would expect his response coming on this scene of Lazarus' death, his friends weeping. You would expect him to say, guys, chill out, right? Everybody relax. I got this under control. But that's not what he says. That's not what he does. We get John eleven thirty five, the shortest verse in Scripture, and I think one of the most powerful. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. He entered into the sadness of the moment, the sadness of his friends, and he wept. God wept. And I love what verse 36 says. The Jews who were there said, see how he loved him. You see, Jesus is about to raise Lazarus to life. He's going to display his power, but first he displays his love for Lazarus and for his friends by weeping with those who were weeping. This is what we're called to, church. And this is, this is hard. This is, again, easier said than done. Uh, we just had a, a marriage seminar called To Have and to Hold a, a couple of weeks ago. And um, if you haven't been through it yet, we do it a couple times a year um, through some partner churches. And um, one of the things we talk about is this idea of empathy and, and entering into things, especially hard things with one another. And um, they, they gave us kind of four keys for, for showing empathy. And so if you want to jot these down on your notes, here, here's, what, here's what they are. Number one, active listening. How often are we guilty of, of just listening to somebody and thinking about what we want to say next, right? Versus really, truly listening and hearing what they're saying active listening. Number two is perspective taking, which is this idea of, of, of seeking to see things from someone else's point of view. It's so easy to just let our own experiences and, and ideas and thoughts come into that situation instead of just, just trying to see it from their perspective. Number three, staying out of judgment. Staying out of judgment. We are, as Christians, called to judge between right and wrong, and we have God's word to do that. And we are called to share the truth and love. But usually when someone's in the midst of suffering, sharing something hard with you, that's probably not the best time to bring those hard biblical truths forward, right? There's encouragement and there's love. God will open doors down the road for us to share truth as it's needed, but sometimes we just need to be present and not make judgments about the situation in that moment. Number four, recognizing emotion. This is something I know I struggle with. Um, 
but really seeking to, to see what, what is this person feeling? Is it fear? Is it, is it anger? Is it loneliness? What, what is it? And how can I enter into that emotion with them? The more we recognize someone's emotion, the more we're prepared to truly empathize with them. Just a few helpful things, uh, tangible ways for us to show empathy. But the good news is that that's not where the story ends for us. It doesn't end with weeping. And, and Paul says this in verse 15. He says, we're also supposed to rejoice with those who rejoice. Does anybody know someone who is just great at, at rejoicing with other people? Like the person you just want to call when you have good news? If I can single out Andrea Jones, sorry, Andrea, she is awesome at this. Like, everyone should get her contact info so when anything good happens to you, you know, like, you get a sale at Target. Like, call, call Andrea, and she'll celebrate with you, okay? Uh, a few weeks ago, we had, well, a few months ago, I guess, we celebrated our kids and our children's classes had raised a significant amount of money, reached a goal to, to give to our, our orphan ministry here at the church, and so she bought these, like, little, like, clapper toy things. Eric knows what I'm talking about. They're like, they're, like, hidden in our children's room. So if you hear, like, crazy noise, thank Andrea for that, these clappers. But the kids had so much fun, and we celebrated what God had done in and through them. We all should be good at rejoicing with those who rejoice. But there's a deeper reason for us to rejoice. And, and Paul says this back in verse 12, um, of chapter 12, he says, rejoice in hope. So what is that? How do we rejoice in hope? So let's look at Romans 5, 1 through 5 for just a second, because it gives a great explanation for this. Romans 5, 1 through 5. It says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Our hope comes from the reality of who we are in Christ. If your faith is in Jesus Christ this morning, then your eternal fate has been sealed by the Holy Spirit. You have access to God through Jesus Christ. You have been redeemed from your sins through Jesus' death and resurrection. And that's our reality. I love the end of the passage here. It says God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Man, why was the early church in the book of Acts blowing up? Why, why were the disciples so fired up? Because they had God's love poured into their hearts. Not just onto them, but into them. And we have that same love in us today. By the Holy Spirit, we have God's love, his genuine, empathetic love in us, flowing through us. And we can share that with others. We can love each other with that love. And that's something worth rejoicing. Again, I think we need to be reminded this morning that that doesn't mean that we just skip over the hard stuff, right? We are still called to weep with those who weep. And that's sort of the mystery of all this. 
There's a tension we talk about a lot. There's a lot of tensions in Scripture. And there's this tension between rejoicing and weeping. And I got to be honest, I, I think this is proof in and of itself for the existence of the Holy Spirit and for our need of the Holy Spirit. Because I think in our flesh, doing this well would be impossible. Rejoicing and weeping and, and walking in this tension would be impossible. We need God's transformative work by the Holy Spirit to give us the ability to do this well. We need to be prayerful. We need to be in the Word. We need to be in community. And we need to, to learn what it looks like to truly empathize with each other. The Bible says that one day Jesus will return and establish his eternal kingdom. There will be no more tears. There will be no more pain, no more suffering. And that's our, that's our ultimate hope. But right now we live in a fallen and broken and sinful world. And there is real pain and real suffering and real loss. And again, I think on Mother's Day, this is, this is really significant because I know specific stories in this room. We're going to hear one of them in just a second of people that, that today is a really hard day. And so I just want to challenge you and encourage you this morning to, to, to be mindful of this. If you have people in your life to rejoice with, rejoice with them and rejoice with them well. But if there's people in your life who are hurting today, who are experiencing sorrow, who are weeping, weep, weep with them. It's okay. Enter into the sorrow with them too. When we do this, when we walk in this tension, we are showing the genuine love of Christ. We're living it out. The same love that God has shown to us through his son.